When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We were with people every day who just felt so excited and honored and grateful to be there. And we're just smart and brilliant and super talented and looked like they had walked out of the animation. I would have these like a gag moments watching them being like, okay, Hera. partners and welcome to the Dagobah Dispatch where we talk about Star Wars with the stars of Star Wars as well as each other because what else will we talk about politics sports our families yeah thanks but no thanks well that's a hard pass uh we have a star of Star Wars back with us this week we have part two of our sit down with Rosario Dawson. That's right. We sat down with Ahsoka herself right before the actor's strike. We played you part one last week. Go listen if you missed it. And we have part two for you right here. But that's not all we have. We also are going to play another round of our favorite game, Star Wars True or False. I'm going to throw out some bold statements and we will see if each of us agree or disagree with said statements. And you can play along as well. So let's get to playing. I'm Dalton Ross here with my co-pilot, Devin Kogan. How are you living this week, Devin? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to, to get into some Star Wars hot takes this week. Yeah, you. I played, I played this game. I made up this game to play with Lauren Morgan. Um, and on a week you were out, I believe. So this will be our first time playing together. It should be fun. I'm looking forward. I'm to excited. It. Look, I love a game. I love, I love pretending I'm a game show contestant. We, I don't want. You're giving me PTSD now. You're giving me PTSD. <laughs> gave, that wasn't my intention. Oh my but. god! I, did you guys just hear the pause? Just like it was like my heart just stopped. Uh, we had a, a, a Slack chat where somehow game shows came up, and I admitted my deepest, darkest secret to Devin and our producer Sammy, where I told them that I actually hosted a pilot for a game show for Bravo. Incredible. years ago and it was terrible it was so like the concept for the show was bad the execution was bad i was bad like i was really <laughs> not good at it like and i thought i'd be really good at it i really wasn't um it was humiliating and embarrassing. And I do have a DVD of it somewhere. Like I was about attic. to say, I yeah. would give my left arm to, to, to see footage of that. I'm sure it's incredible. The, the worst experience was not just filming it and see, but then I had to go in and do like ADR for, for some of it. And so like ADR, you're having to watch it like over and over as you try and like, you know, put in some extra dialogue or, and it's just like, oh my God, it was so terrible. Oh my God. I'm having a shame spiral right now. Love um, this. This is incredible. <laughs> one day when I either when I'm feeling really weak or I've had too many drinks, maybe I'll put a put a clip out on social media just so oh. you can laugh at me. It's the Someday. clothes I'm wearing are bad. Like what every year was this? I'm I got to ballpark this at like 2005, incredible. maybe or something. Incredible. It, there was nothing incredible about it. There was nothing incredible about it. 
All right. I'll, I'll give maybe I'll, I'll like, you know, give you some more information uh, in future weeks Future, just every week. I'll just give you a little dollop, a little like nugget of info about this terrible game show. A little lore dump. We love, you know, learning a little bit of lore. We, was, this is a show that has lore. <laughs> I was literally praying that they didn't pick it up. I knew, I knew they wouldn't. I knew they wouldn't. But yet, yet I, there was never always that outside chance. They put worse stuff on TV. Actually, maybe not. This is true. Um, all right. Before we get into our Star Wars truth or... Truth or dare, Dan? I was calling what you called. That's what I called it earlier. I was like, "What? What is this?" I don't, I don't know. Before what we started you... recording, Devin thought we were doing seven minutes in heaven. Basically, we did uh, not. I did not. Don't put words in my mouth. We're doing, we're doing Star Wars: True or False is what we're doing, and then later Rosario Dawson Part Two of Devin's conversation with Rosario Dawson will be coming up. But um. We do these polls now on Spotify. Uh, if you listen to the podcast on Spotify, when you pull up the episode, you can uh, vote in a poll. And we try and tie it into something we talk about so that this is a way for you all to weigh in. This isn't live radio. So unfortunately, you can't you know call in and share your thoughts, but you can do it via this poll on Spotify. So last week's episode, we talked about, we had Lauren Morgan, our old co-host back on, and she ranked her um, favorite members of the Ghost Crew, Devin. Yeah. And uh, I'm always happy when Lauren comes back. Not that I don't love doing this with you, Dalton, but it's always fun to have Lauren back, especially when we're talking about Clone Wars and Rebels. And so it's it was it was very fun. Yeah, super fun. So she ranked her her list from top to bottom, all six members of the Ghost Crew. We asked you guys to do the same. We said, basically, who's your favorite member of the Ghost Crew? And the votes are in. And the number one place by a wide, wide margin, Devin, 38.1% of the voters said Chopper. This doesn't surprise me. Chopper's incredible. Like, would he be the number one on my list? Eh, maybe, but like, I, I think he's a perfect choice for number one. I support this. I mean, I can't hate K2SO is my number one from Rogue One. So I can't, you know, can't hate well, on the know? results. But I think, I mean, it's not even close. No, it, it is it is chopper by a wide, wide margin. Yeah, the the second place was Kanan, who came in at fourteen point three. No, excuse me, second place was Sabine, nineteen yes. percent. Then Kanan with fourteen point three percent, and then a three way tie for either fourth place or last place, however you want to do that, between Ezra, Hera, and Zeb. So that's interesting because Hera was all three of our number one pick. I think. Yeah, mm. that that is a little bit surprising, but I mean. How can you resist Chopper? I love a I grumpy know, droid. Know. I'm very excited for him to make his debut in Ahsoka. I'm not mad about it. Yeah. I support I, it. Yeah, I support it too. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Hera guy, but like, whatever. That's fine. So yeah. anyway, the, the people have spoken. Uh, you can vote on our poll this week. Uh, I can't tell you what it is yet because it's going to relate to one of the uh, Star Wars true or false uh, things we're going to do in just a second. But go to Spotify. You can vote there and you can also rate us while you're there. And by the way, wherever you're like listening to us, please rate us, review us, write us a nice review. Yeah, please do. And, and we love hearing your comments on social media. I'm still yes. getting that nice tweets about how Victory Celebration um, is better than Yubnub. So keep them coming. That's because you're tweeting yourself. You're setting up <laughs> burner accounts and you're literally tweeting yourself. Me and my 900 burner accounts dedicated yeah, solely right. to the end of Return of the yep. Jedi. Or you're like Xing yourself. I still don't know what we're <laughs> supposed to call these things. If it's if Twitter is now X, I don't know what a tweet is uh, anymore. No, it's it's just going to be forever 
Twitter. It's like the Sears Tower. It's just we we and, or like the Staples Center. Just collectively, we've decided, nope, we're good. We're just gonna stick with it. Is I didn't even is the Sears Tower not the Sears Tower anymore? Like I literally no, have they've no tried idea. to change it a couple times, but oh, everybody right. just calls it the Sears Tower. Yeah, that's what you get. So, uh, all right, so let's get into uh, today's topic du jour. I uh, just that's basically was repetitive. Uh, and, uh, and then we'll have Rosario. Okay. So what we're going to do is I've got a few bold statements. Doesn't necessarily mean I agree with them, but these are bold statements having to do with star Wars. And then we're going to see how Devin, if Devin agrees or disagrees, if they're true or false, and I'll, I'll weigh in as well. And we'll go through each one at a time and have a little conversation about each. And we encourage you uh, to play along at home or in your car or while you're running or wherever you are and whatever you're doing. All right, here we go. First one up, Devin, true or false. Putting the Jabba the Hutt scene into the special edition of A New Hope was a great addition to the film. And now this is interesting, Devin, that I'm asking you this, and we're starting with this one, because before you answer, I'm guessing that the special edition of the film was the first edition of the film you saw. Is that true or not? You know, I honestly don't know. I'm assuming it was based on when I saw it, but it must have been, I I saw it in the late 90s and I I think I saw the original because I I don't, I honestly don't know which one I saw first. But the the version I rewatched all the time as a child was the special edition. So the one that is like burned into my brain is the special edition. And let me tell you this, this statement that, you know, um, Jabba in the special edition of New Hope is a great edition is the most demonstrably false thing on this list that we are going to get to. <laughs> Why do you say that? Enti- it is so bad. I hate everything about it. Like, okay, watching this as a child, I was like, why does Jabba look different than he does in Return of the Jedi? It looks like a totally different character. He's like more green. He's got just like a different face, facial expression. The voice is the same, but just everything about him looks wrong. And there's also, there's one specific moment that has always driven me absolutely insane in A New Hope. And it's when Han Solo steps on Jabba's tail and it is so broken and wrong and just like the worst example of like bad editing. It is so bad and so stupid and I hate it. So uh, this is absolutely a ridiculous thing that should never have been added. I do love the voice performance here. I do love Jabba being like Han Mabuki and, and it's it, that part's great. But the specifically the stepping on the tail has like haunted me for like the last 30 years and um, it should be cut out and I hate it so much. So we're starting off with a strong wow. one. We're, we're starting off with some strong feelings. Wow, not a fan. And we know that Devin is a huge, as I am, a huge fan of the Jabba scenes in Return of the Jedi. Like, yes. Yeah. So- part of my favorite part of Star Wars is everything that takes place in Jabba's palace is extraordinary. Um, but part of the reason Jabba looks good in Return of the Jedi is because he's a puppet. And like the like the way even 30, you know, 40 years later, the cinematography still looks fantastic because there's like a tactile quality to him and he like looks weird. And it's, you know, my favorite thing about Diego Luna is for, you know, the last five years, when people ask him about Star Wars, he talks about how as a child, he was obsessed with like the texture of Jabba and he just wanted to touch Jabba because he's like, why does he look like that? What does he feel like? So I I can relate to that. I also want to touch Jabba, but weird puppet Jabba, not not weird CGI Jabba. So here's where I come down on this. I I am not a person. And so I'm the person that grew up with the originals, right? I'm the person that grew up. So I'm the guy, the type of guy that would be like, and I do generally think don't touch a movie once you're done with it. Leave leave the movie as it is that like let us enjoy the movie as we always enjoyed the movie or at this point had been enjoying the movie for 
I forget how many it was, 23 years or whatever until they started messing with it. Um, but putting that aside, I, I think there are good additions in the special editions, um, yeah. special edition, spelling editions, you know, ADD. Um, I, I like the, uh, the insertion of the big scene in A New Hope. You know, it sort of makes it more impactful when then when he bites it, you know, doing the trench run. So, like, I think adding that big scene is good. I love the addition of the Wampa scene in Empire Strikes Back because the, the Wampa scene just did not work at all. Like, it looked terrible in the original film. Even as a little kid when I first saw it, I'm like, that doesn't look good. And um, that made it a lot more menacing. And I just thought that worked really well. I like the windows they added into Cloud City and Six. So so I, I'm not the guy that thinks like every, you know, addition is a, a bad one. I think there are good ones. Devin would argue that Victory Celebration is better than Yubnub. And she's, I mean, she's wrong, but she would, she would argue that that is a, a positive change for the good. 100% a positive change. Yeah, absolutely not. So um, <laughs> that said, the Java scene uh, that was inserted then for the special edition New Hope bums me out as well. And it doesn't matter how many times George Lucas says, oh, I originally intended to have Java in there as this big alien. I was going to sub him in. You could throw, he could say that as many times as you want. You could find all this evidence showing his journals from whatever year you want. You could throw whatever you want at me. I still won't believe it. I still will not believe that that was actually his intent. I will think his intent was to have that scruffy looking dude uh, be Jabba the Hutt. And then later he turned him into an alien. That's just what I what I will believe to my dying death, whether it's accurate or not. I don't believe that this was originally his intent. Okay. So later now he's going to put these movies back out in theaters and he wants to add some scenes and he wants to also, Devin, I think, you know, test out his technology that would give us later Jar Jar Binks and other characters like Watto. So that's the way he did it. And what's so interesting about that moment you hate where Han awkwardly steps on Jabba's tail is that they were actually really proud of that moment. If you go through the, the, the you know, behind the scenes, making of Phantom Menace, they talk about that scene like, oh, what are we going to do? Because he walks behind him, but Jabba has a tail and this guy didn't have a tail. Again, proves my point that they hadn't planned this out. Yep. And so they're like, we're so proud, like, oh, we'll have him step on the tail and he'll go up and then down. Um, narratively, that doesn't really work. Like, like Han treats Jabba like crap here, like not at all how he treats him in Return of the Jedi. I realize in Jedi, he's in some pretty dire straits, but like, you know, he's not going to be stepping on the dude's tail and thinking that like he's not going to kill everything else we know about Jabba would tell us you don't just like step on this dude's tail for laughs and cookies, right? Like that's not something you do. So it doesn't make editorial sense. It also looks really bad. Like the step up is really jumpy. His step down, it just, the technology didn't work to make it look good. And so it doesn't look good. I also don't like the super gratuitous shot of Boba Fett at the end when he like looks back and just stares at the camera. It's just like, I've gone on my Boba Fett rant. What I love about Boba Fett, what I loved about Boba Fett is that less was more. And all yep. of a sudden they just give us more and more and more. And it's, it just, I, I didn't like that shot as well. You can say it's good foreshadowing what happens in the next movie. Maybe it is, but it felt like a little too much. So I'm with you. I don't like this scene. Yeah, I think it's unnecessary. I think, you know, I get the the idea of like, okay, laying the foreshadowing for, you know, Jabba's on the hunt for Han or whatever, but like it's it it just I don't think it needs it. I I just just it's unnecessary. And I think you're right. It's less is more. So and again, I'm I'm with you. I don't hate every addition to the special editions. Um, you know, I think there are some that actually enhance the movies. This is a hundred percent not one of them. 
right. So we're on the same page. That is false. Uh, Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to our next one. True or false, Deb? True or false? This uh, question might get a little hairy, actually. Hey. <laughs> True or false? Anakin's hair in Revenge of the Sith is better than Anakin's hair in Attack of the Clones. Your this is 100% true. Like, what? absolutely 100% true. Anakin's hair in Attack of the Clones, the Padawan braid is like one of the stupidest things that Star Wars has ever done. Why is like, it stupid? It, What's stupid about the, the, the braid? It looks so stupid. The buzz cut with like the one long little skinny like braid. It looks like, you know. You know that's in, a good look? Oh, it's it's terrible. It's like, ugh. I, Ewan McGregor in Phantom Menace with his stupid little haircut and his stupid little braid is so stupid. <laughs> Every time I look at it, it just makes me laugh. And so you get like the idea that, um, you know, uh, Padme is going to fall in love with Anakin when his, when his hair looks like that is just absolutely hilarious to me. It just, it's so stupid. It reminds me of like when I was a kid, like in the nineties and early two thousands and kids would come to school with like a little rat tail, like oh, they had God. the buzzed head and then they had the little rat tail in the back. And I was just like, oh, you just want to take a scissors and just snip it off. It's just, it's terrible. It reminds me of like Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar, where they have like the, the Navi have the braids and they like, you know, um, can connect with people. It, it reminds me of that, but it's just like weird and bad and stringy and it's, it's terrible. I hate it. Anakin's hair. But meanwhile, Anakin's hair in Revenge of the Sith. It's fantastic. Like, cast that man in a Pantene commercial. He's just like, he's got the waves. He's got, like, the drama. Like, it falls in his face. It's incredible. It's very, like, emo, going to the dark side. It's 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 a good look. You can see the journey of, of Anakin through his hair from a character's perspective. <laughs> I have so much to say right now. All right, so you're saying it's 100% true, Anakin's hair, Revenge of the Sith. 100% true. All right, here's what I have to say. I, I, I think I've probably shared this story before on the podcast. Um, when I was a kid, probably about 13 or so, I went to go get my haircut and it was this, uh, this place in Georgetown that my dad went to called Mont Salon. I don't think the guy was French. I don't know why he <laughs> called it that, but that's what he called it. So I sit in the chair. He's like, Hey, I'm going to try to give you something a little special this time. And I didn't know what he meant. I was like, uh, all right. You know, all right. I mean, just kind of keep it pretty basic, dude. But like, okay. So he cuts the hair. It looks exactly the same. I'm like, it doesn't seem that <laughs> special to me. And, but I'm like, all right, well, thanks. So I go home, I walk in, and I see my mom and she's like, I kind of walk past her. And she goes, <gasps> she goes, what is that? I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, your hair. I'm like, yeah, what about it? She goes, and then she get, gets a mirror. She oh, brings no. it to a mirror, holds a mirror behind it. The dude had given me a rat tail. No! The dude had given me a rat tail. <gasps> Didn't ask. Without your consent. <laughs> no consent was given. No <laughs> consent was given. I literally, and a pet was like, cut it off, cut it off. I was like in a horror movie all of a sudden about this rat tail. And so if someone ever asked me, hey, do you ever have a, ever have a rat tail? I now have to be like, well, for 15 minutes I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. It's almost as embarrassing as that stupid Bravo game show I had to host for one episode. Oh my God. It was terrible. All right. So- <sighs> Again, this is a very traumatic podcast for me. Um, <laughs> there is, I'm learning so much Dalton lore. Here's what I'll say about everything you said. First off, another sidetrack conversation. Uh, you dissing and dismissing Ewan McGregor's hair in A Phantom Menace. When I would put forward, maybe this should have been the question. You, Ewan McGregor's hair in A Phantom Menace is a million times better than Ewan McGregor's hair 
in Attack of the Clones. Attack Are the- you insane? 100%. Oh my God. Attack that of the mullet, Clones is so much better. The mullet? The, but the beard. The beard yeah, is but good, I'm just though. talking about the Jedi mullet. The Jedi mullet. I'll take the mullet over the rat tail any day. Oh my God, yes. I think you're wrong on that one. We have a definite disagreement on that one. I go Padawan braid for Obi-Wan over Jedi mullet in Attack of the Clones. And by the way, we did have Ewan McGregor. I had him weigh in on all his hairstyles. And you can find that video and that post on EW.com if you Google. It's pretty funny. He weighs in on his different hairstyles and stuff. Uh, (laughs) I don't think he's particularly a fan of any of them, uh, but... (laughs) But I actually, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the Padawan braid. I certainly don't have the problem you have. All that said, I agree 100% with you that Anakin's hair in Revenge of the Sith is, is uh, spectacular. They're so good. There is one or two scenes where it looks a little weird. I'm not sure if maybe those are reshoots and he'd cut it and had a wig on, or maybe there's too much humidity on Mustafar. I don't know. I, quite, I don't know what was going on. But, but generally, I think it looks great. And I also think you're 100% right that it sort of tells the story of the character a little bit. He's gone a little bad boy. You know, he yeah. looks like he's in like Metallica now all of a sudden. Like, and um, it works for him. I, I, yeah. I love the hair. It's good. It's it's much, much better. Like if I, you can understand why Padme was like, all right, I'll, I'll fall in love with this guy. He's got like some, some, some good hair as opposed to the bad. Ter- I'm curious, like who is the Jedi temple like barber? Like, <laughs> Who's like? Do you think there's somebody whose job it is just to cut everybody's hair into the the Padawan braid and like do the little braid? Like, there's got to be, right? Yeah, I don't know. Is it Yoda? Like, is he just like <laughs> I don't know? Like, who who does that? I think you need someone taller than Yoda. Uh, That's probably true. That. He's got a step stool. Yeah, he's on a little ladder. Uh, I will say a perhaps controversial statement, and we'll see how you feel about this. The best thing about Anakin in a, the Phantom Menace is his hair. I like the bowl cut. The bowl cut works. I mean, it's now, very he, 90s. He has different hair in that movie, too. Like, there's clearly reshoots yeah. where the hair looks very different. It was shot like a year later. Yeah. But when he's got that full-on bowl working, I actually think that works. I actually think... I remember when I saw that first poster uh, for Phantom Menace, and it's Anakin, young Anakin, and it's got, like, the uh, the, the shadow, shadow of Darth Vader. Yeah. I was like, oh, that, that kid looks cool. Um, I didn't realize he'd be saying yippee throughout the movie, but, like, I thought, <laughs> I thought the hair looks cool. He just every time I my brother was that like same age and had that exact haircut where it was just like the blonde bowl cut like every you know little blonde kid in the nineties did um, and so every time I look at him I just look at I just see my little brother because that's exactly what he looked mm-hmm. like with that that blonde bowl cut. Do you go, do you go to the dark side as well? He, um, eh, the jury's still out. Okay, right. <laughs> uh, he's bringing balance to the force somewhere. Okay, uh, all right. Well, we're in a listen. We we disagree on some of the sub points, but on the on the main points, we are once again in agreement. We're in, a, agreement. We're in agreement. That one Revenge is true. of the Sith, Anakin hair over Attack of the Clones, Anakin hair. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, next one, Devin. True or false, 
I'm not even sure I know how to pronounce these guys' names. True or false, Bunta Eve pod racing announcers Fode and Bede are actually more annoying than Jar Jar Binks. True or false? I think that's false. I think I think no one can top Jar Jar Binks in sheer annoyance qualities. Like like the he's he's operating on such high levels of annoying that I think it's pretty hard to top that. And I, hey, I kind of like Foden Bead. I think it's kind of a weird, stupid, like kind of like alien thing that I wish Star Wars would do more of. Like, are they the most successful characters? Nah, debatable. But uh, I don't I don't hate them that much. I know some people get annoyed by them, but I think they're fine for your sort of generic, you know, sportscaster. Um, although every time I think of these guys, Foden Bead, I once saw a tweet that said that Benedict Cumberbatch looks exactly like them, and I can't <laughs> unsee that. Every time I look at them, I just see Benedict Cumberbatch's face. Um, something about the jawline and the cheekbones. Um, so I, I do, in my head, think of these guys as the Benedict Cumberbatch um, pod racing announcers. So, but no, I think this, I think this is false. I think on the annoying scale, I think Jar Jar Binks has them beat. So here, I, I, I actually like the idea of the two headed alien sharing a single body, um, and, and calling the race together. I actually think that's really inventive and fun. Kind of like, I think you do as well. I think it's a, a cool and smart. Um, and I actually don't have any issues whatsoever with Bede. Now, Bede is, is the one who speaks <laughs> Huttese yeah. and has like the greenish sort of head. And he's kind of mel- got a low voice. He's sort of like just, he's doing his job. He's like, I guess, the like more the, the maybe the play-by-play man. I don't know. My problem's with Fode. Fode oh. Fode's the one speaking, you know, basic. He's putting a little sauce on it. He's putting a little mustard on it. He's a little bit of an acquired taste as an announcer. You know what I mean? Like there's certain like sports announcers, Devin, I know you're a big baseball fan. And yeah. Some of them are sort of like love it or loathe it. And I'm kind of loathe it with Fode. I'm not a Fode guy. I like Bede. I like the concept. I like the design. I'm just not sure I like the voice on Fode. That's fair. So if you're like, you would turn on the, like, if they were the TV announcers, you would like turn on the radio instead. For, I used to, to do that when I was a kid. When I watched football games, when I was a kid, uh, you know, the DC team now the commanders, had these legendary radio announcers and everyone in D.C. would turn off the TV announcers and put and put them on instead. We used to do that when I was a kid, especially when like the Cardinals were on a national broadcast and it was a national broadcaster. We would watch the television and mute it yeah. and just put on the radio broadcast yeah. because we, as, as a Cardinals announcer, for me, it was always like Mike Shannon and, you know, that team um, yeah. and like Jack Buck for a long time. And, you know, so, um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, that's fair. I think you're wrong. I think Jar Jar Binks takes no, the No, I think Jar Jar Binks. So, so what I'll say is I think Jar Jar Binks, because I, I do... I don't have any issues with bead. It's just it's all phone. <laughs> One half. It's One all, half yeah, it's all heads. phone. So so I will say I will say false as well. But it was close. It was cl- it was closer for me. I'll say that's that. fair. Definitely closer. That's fair. All right. Next one. I've waited on this before. Um, true or false? They should have actually killed Chewbacca in the Rise of Skywalker. So how much time do we have to get into this? Um, do we have like an hour for me to discuss this? Um, no, but the answer, I think, so there's multiple parts to this answer, right? Um, I think ultimately, though, 
yes, true. They should have killed Chewbacca. I think if they were going to commit to the idea of killing Chewbacca, they should have killed Chewbacca. I think the fake out is so cheap and so secondhand and the he was on another transport is so dumb and insulting to the audience that I think it's it's ridiculous and they should have just committed. Um, I don't know if I was writing the script if I would have even written that in at all, but I think, you know, I, I think if you're going to commit to chewing, c- killing Chewbacca, you got to kill Chewbacca. I, one of my least favorite tropes in pop culture is the death fake out. I think it's incredibly, it can be used thoughtfully. You know, I think Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings is one of the greatest death fake outs of all time, but usually it is used as like a cheap fake out for, for audience, like, you know, um, empathy. And I, I think it's so poorly, it's so rarely used correctly, and I think it's used incredibly incorrectly here. And I think it's just – the whole thing is just very silly and very, very useless. And it's just – I don't know if they wanted to do it and Disney was like, ah, you can't kill off Chewbacca. Um, he sells too many toys or whatever. Or, But I, I just – I think the way it's handled is so silly. It's just the whole thing is so silly, and it undercuts the emotion of the entire film. So I, I am – Sorry, sorry, Chewbacca. I'm I'm out for blood. I think they should have killed Chewbacca in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, true. But, but to be clear, and for anyone listening, it's like gasping now. This is not Devin saying, "Oh, I don't like Chewbacca." Oh, kill again. No, this is I so, love this Chewbacca. is this is her saying that like the way they handled it was poor. It could have been handled better, and it could have like because listen, I'm with you. We've talked about this before in this podcast. We've talked about this off this podcast. You and I are in lockstep about hating the the the, the, the fake out death scenes and. You know, all the franchises do them. You know, not just Everyone. not just Star Wars. Yeah. You know, we've seen it. The Marvel has gone crazy with it. All the other ones yep. have gone crazy with it too. It's basically like they wanna they wanna get the emotional reaction for the audience, but they don't have the guts to go all the way through with it yeah. and live with the consequences. So they want to have it both ways. They want to get the emotion and then not pay the consequences of the emotion or build the story out of that emotion. Um, so. The, the counter to why they were right to the, the argument for why they were right to not kill him would also be that, um, you know, Princess Leia dies in this film. Obviously, Carrie yeah. Fisher had passed away. They didn't have a choice. So, so, you know, they already killed Han, right? A few episodes. They already killed few, Luke. Movies, right. They killed Luke. They, they killed uh, Leia, which they had to do. And so there's, there's been a lot of, a lot of people biting it, you know, here. So, yeah. it, it, you know, Killing Chewbacca is maybe a you know one too many. I totally get that, um, but I agree with Devin. I don't like the way they did it with the fake out. I also would even go further than Devin, and I've said this before. When Ray and Ren are battling over that transport, and then and she's pulling it one way, and he's pulling it back, trying to release it, and then it gets more and more intense, and then all of a sudden. Force lightning shoots out of her fingers and blows up the transport that Chewie was on was to me in the moment, probably the most shocking moment in any Star Wars movie I'd ever seen. And I was like, wow. And the, like, I get, again, the story you can build off of that, the story where you can go with the, with the other characters that this happened is super intriguing, maybe a little depressing, but super intriguing. And instead, like they give you the five minutes where you're kind of, or maybe even less, I don't remember long, where you're sort of shocked. And then they're just like, psych. So it's annoying because it was a psych out, but also it could have been the most shocking 
dramatic moment in all nine films of the of the Skywalker saga and could have really, you know, they could have had a lot more room to play with in terms of the the ramifications and fallout from that. But instead, it's all big nothing. Yeah, I think my issue is I think they could have gotten away with the fake out if even if the reveal was was a little more thoughtful, like just the idea of he was on another transport is just so Ha- like I don't know, so hand wavy and so like. But if they had like really thought it out and like, okay, here's a whole ex- explanation of like why it didn't actually come to pass or whatever. Like I, I could have bought it a little bit more, but just the the hand wavy surprise, he's here, he's fine. Um, is like it's it just it it. I don't know. It feels dumb and it feels kind of insulting to the audience in a way I I don't care for. So um, I think there's different way. I think they could have killed Chewbacca. They could have not killed Chewbacca. But I think the way it was handled was just not not the way to go i think they sort of were didn't have the guts to really commit to anything um and that's that's my biggest issue with it yeah all right so we both say true we both say yeah. we just we just both killed chewy that's pretty rough sorry chewy yeah, i love geez, you louise apple cheese um all right well we talked about like killing a character and then bring him back because you don't have the guts to actually kill the character for good which brings us to our very last true or false this is one that i did with lauren morgan when she was on and i needed to get devin's take on this so here it is. And it's a tough one. Here it is. Star Wars, true or false? Darth Maul was such a good character on the Clone Wars and Rebels that it was worth bringing him back to life, even though the fact that he was brought back to life after literally being chopped in half makes no sense whatsoever. Devin, true or false? This is a tough one. This is the one I debated about the most, I think, on this list for exactly the reason that you said. I look, I've gone on record. I hate a fake, I hate a death fake out. I hate a hate undoing a death. I think once you're dead in a in a movie or whatever, you should stay dead unless you are Gandalf. Um, but I I think getting chopped in half and literally like falling down a large pit, like that's, that's pretty dead. You know, it's not like one of those, Oh no, he got shot. And it was, he was actually just shot in his arm and he's okay. No, he got chopped in half, like (laughs) fully in half insane. Um, That being said, that being said, I really like Maul's arc in Clone Wars. And I love like the showdown between him and Ahsoka is like one of my favorite like lightsaber battles in all of the animated series. I think they did a lot of really interesting things with that character. Um, I think it's a really interesting character. And you and I have talked about this, like seeing the, you know, the first time, you know, seeing Darth Maul, like even before we saw Phantom Menace, we were just like, what is that? Who is that? And what is his deal? And the the reveal of the double lightsabers, everybody just lost their minds, like just an amazing character. And so for him to bite the dust in Phantom Menace was like a little bit of a letdown because you're like, oh my God, there's so much more you could do with this guy. Um, So I get why they brought him back. So in this case, I think I'm going to say true. I think it was worth it. This is one of the few death fake outs I will allow because I think they, they earned it. And I think Clone Wars, um, you know, told such an interesting story that I think it, it made sense to bring him back. That being said, I really don't care for his reveal in solo. I think it's very silly. I think it's, if you haven't watched Clone Wars, you're sitting in the theater being like, what? I thought that guy got chopped in half. Why the hell is he back? <laughs> um, they was setting up to, you know, bring him into live action. They never did anything with it. It just sort of disappeared into the ether. Um, so in that regard, I don't think that works. But I think specifically his arc on on Clone Wars um, does work. So I'm I'm going to 
say fi- final answer, Regis. My final answer is is true. What about you, Dalton? Where, yeah, well, do, you, where do you fall on this? I will mention that Lauren Morgan came down on the same side you did, and you know, very similar thoughts. Uh, and and my thoughts are similar too, although I will tilt towards false just because. Again, chopped in half, and I had the same. Chopped in half. <laughs> I had the same thoughts you did exactly about Solo. I'm like anyone that isn't like watching the cartoons, which is honestly a fair amount of that that audience, yeah. right? Like you think about it, like a lot of people sitting in the theater did not watch his arc on the Clone Wars at that time, so um, they're just like, "What? What the f is going on here? This makes literally no sense." So it's yeah. a little weird. Um, so I, I just, I, 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 I this stuff is so great. And you mentioned the clone war stuff and stuff on rebels is great too. Yeah. Um, but it just, it's, it's, I just can't get over it. I just can't. I'm sorry. I can't get it. He was chopped in half, Devin. I mean, just to recap <laughs> his two, like, like not only was he chopped in half, you see the two separate parts of the body float and like, they don't float cleanly down. They like bounce off the sides. They're like, you know what <laughs> I mean? On their way down. It's just like, it's just, I remember watching that as a kid and being absolutely like, whoa, that's the most metal thing I've ever seen. Mm. Like the part where he like is still conscious and then he realizes he's been like sliced in half and his body sort of like slides apart is wild. It's so insane. Mm. And there's like no blood, obviously, because, you know, the lightsaber cauterizes the wound or whatever. But it's still it's 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 pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, it is. Um, So, yeah. But uh, listen, I'm very happy the 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 content we got with Maul in the animated uh, universe right. and but but it, it's hard for me to get get over. That's the thing. I think I I will forgive a death fake out if it's occasional. Like if you I don't know. I feel like you get like one a franchise. You know you you no more than that. Even I mean, then that that's kind of pushing it. The only other thing I'll say, and this isn't really a complaint at all. It's just an observation. Darth Maul, the animated Darth Maul, he's a chatty Kathy, right? Like oh, he's. Yeah. <laughs> He, he is talking up a storm. And as far as I knew, Darth, cinematic Darth Maul, he is a man of few words. And they're dubbed words from another actor, by the way. He is not saying a lot. He is just like brief and to the point. And the dude won't shut up when he's in like cartoon form. Right. Every time he meets Ahsoka, it's like, here's a whole villain monologue. I know. <laughs> so great. It's like you're doing Shakespeare out there. It's crazy. You know, he he had his near-death experience and he decided, you know, he's going to make some changes in his life. He's going to, you know, really yeah. go after what he wants and, and uh, you know, argue for himself. Uh, so good. And, and for those, just a, a fun little tidbit. I mean, when, when Lucas was planning to do what, what eventually then became the, um, the the final trilogy, like before Disney took over and did that. He sort of wanted a, like Darth Talon and Maul to be involved somehow. They were both going to be in there. And he was like, you know, that she was her, his uh, apprentice. And, you know, that never happened at all. But um, we would have gotten, um, you know, more of that sort of scene as well. All right. It could have been. Um, so look, before we get into our, uh, into our inner, by the way, we, we, what do we agree on? Three of these, I think. I think we agreed on three of them. Three out of five. It's pretty good. Oh, and and what we'll do for the poll, yeah, for the poll this week, let's get get, get you guys to weigh in on some Anakin hair, okay? And we're going to give yes. you all three films. We're going to give you the bowl cut too. So the poll question on Spotify, if you go there to the page for this episode, uh, you can answer the question, in which movie does Anakin have the best hair? And you can answer, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. Let's see where you weigh in. The correct answer is Revenge of the Sith. It might be the correct answer. <laughs> um, all right, so moving ahead, next week, Ahsoka starts, Devin. We've yes. got We've got Ahsoka. 
hitting us with two episodes in week one. And what that means for longtime listeners of the podcast, you know what that means is that we'll be breaking down every episode. That's what we'll be doing. Uh, every, you know, uh, the episodes drop on Wednesday, right? Wednesday morning, every, Tuesday night. And every Thursday, you will uh, have our podcast talking all about the episode. And, you know, we should hopefully be having some interviews for you as well along the way um, because we thought ahead and did some uh, interviews before the actors strike. And so we've got some of the, uh, the folks from the cast that will be chatting with us, which will be tons of fun as well. So make sure to come back each week and we'll be breaking down each episode and always like uh, send us your thoughts as well. Um, but before we get to Ahsoka the show, let's get back to Ahsoka herself. Devin sat down and chatted with Rosario Dawson before the actor's strike. We played part one of that conversation for you last week. So if you missed that episode, go check that out. And when you're done with that, you can sit back, relax, and enjoy part two, which is coming up right after this super quick break. I wanted to ask a little bit about um, the makeup process and the transformation process of putting on the head tails and, and everything. How have you gotten, has it gotten easier? Like the more you, or, or had the makeup team got it, gotten it down like to a, a, a quicker pace than, than versus when you were on the Mandalorian? Oh. oh yeah. I mean, when we first started with Brian, it took us three hours just for the makeup. Um, and now we got it down to about like an hour and a half with Alexi and Gabby um, I think about an hour and a half, sometimes even a little less. We were very proud of it. We timed ourselves every single day. It was definitely a thing. Um, and, you know, depending on how much skin was showing, sometimes it would go up to two hours. Um, and so that's tough, you know, like we're going in at like four something in the morning every day so that we can be ready when the crew's there at six and have a full day and then still have like a, at least a half an hour and taking all of it off. Um, and it sprays on with alcohol. So it can be really harsh on the skin. And there was, you know, we, we figured out some stuff cause my arms, everything, I was starting getting really, really dry. My skin was, you know, was, was kind of going through. So we just kind of kept adjusting. And, and I think that's just been happening over these past years. You know, the, the mantles are longer, you know, the, the exoskeleton that they built the, the, the skeleton, I mean, that they built inside is just unbelievable. It's all 3D printed. It moves completely differently. It feels different. It's lighter. But that technology literally didn't exist when we were first doing the character and, and Mando season one, uh, season two. So it's just been really cool to see how it keeps evolving. And so it's the timing. It's it's the makeup. It's all the things. Like we have discovered a lot of stuff. Like when we're shooting on the volume versus filming outside, my skin tone turns into a completely different color. <laughs> so we have to do different kind of paint shades to kind of make it be able to match and blend between those different spaces. Cause the, the blue light and stuff from the screens and is very different, obviously than the actual natural light. So it's just like, okay, wow, I looked really good in the light, but I'm neon now. Let's, let's figure that out. Um, so it's been, it's been really fun working with all of the different departments, including the wardrobe because you know, we gotta, we create this incredible look, but then I can't physically fight the person in front of me because I can't, I don't have full lateral movements of my arms or something, you know? So it was just really great. And I think the well-oiled machine that is Star Wars at this point, because of all of the shows and how like, these are, these are people who know each other deeply and their families and their friendships, they're spending time, they're going to Disneyland on the weekends, they're tattooed in Star Wars, like they're living and breathing it, but they're also just like really commiserating in a way that you don't always get on a project. 
because every department can kind of be siloed from themselves. And on this one, they're just, there's so much happening at all times and especially jumping from the episodes. It's just great to be a part of a team that's been working together now so brilliantly for the past few years and the response that they've been getting from Star Wars fans because it's been such excellent work that they just keep bringing a, like a level that just keeps us all on our toes. Like it's, it's, it's such a, a, a joy to be on set with the, with this crew and the, like the specifics that they get into. I think that's one of the things I love so much about this is how much is practical. Like we had that here on Haunted Mansion as well, where, you know, we actually had the egg floating around and like, it's nice when you're actually interacting. I, I you know, Sin City, it's fun when they're, it's not there and you're operating to tape and, you know, a tennis ball, but like to actually be in the volume and see it, to actually have buttons and switches like you do all over the ships and stuff. Like it's just, it, it, it feels wonderful that we're all seeing the same thing and we can work with it in the same way and we can build on it. Um, and it's not just in our imagination and coming later, you know, there, and to see what we did on the day, it's dazzling to imagine that we shot this in a tiny room, literally the exact same room that I filmed Jane the Virgin in, by the way, we're on the exact stage that I was filming all my scenes with Petra, Brooks, Shields, everybody was on for five years. They moved out and Star Wars moved in. And now I'm in there and shooting in this tiny little room still. I mean, it's a stage, but technically, and it looks like the, the, just the depth and space and breadth of Star Wars. Like it just is, it, stunning. It's it's stunning every day. And there's literally folks on the side of every day that we're filming with all their computers setting up, doing the special effects and editing every single day while we're filming. Like it's just 24 seven. It's amazing. That's extraordinary. And yeah, you talked about like some of the practical elements and I know there's some cool droids in this one. And you talked about like, you know, the, the guy who operates chopper, what's it, what's it like to work with like a droid co-star? I have to say it's amazing. And, you know, especially on this one, you know, we've got David Tennant, who's actually doing the voice for Hu Yang. And, you know, to have this, the an incredible team of people who are working all of these incredible, you know, characters and creatures and droids, but also to actually have David's voice come in and be interacting. Like, it's so nice. Again, like you're not just talking to an ex on a green screen, like you're actually able to kind of function and move and to see the movements, the personalities, it starts to give you a connection. Like this is, this is, there's a familiarity there. Like even when we got to do that with R2 in Boba Fett, it just felt so nice. Cause I've, I've watched that relationship for so many years and to be able to physicalize it in real life and, you know, be able to interact is just, it feels, it feels really cool and it feels very genuine and, you know, the scuffs and the paint and the, this and the movements and stuff. And you really consider like, what is this world where these aliens and, you know, just different species and these different droids, and there's so many different kinds of droids. Like, it's just, it's so cool to interact with it and just really seat you in the universe. That makes total sense. And yeah, I mean, and I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the, you have, you've assembled such an incredible cast. Tell me a little bit about working with um, some of your co-stars on this. Oh my goodness. So, uh, so we talked about David, who I love, and that was so great. Um, and then obviously I got to work with Mary before in Death Proof. So it's great because I just love her. And um to have someone else who was in the chair with me, who was getting all painted up and rocking the tails. I was like, you feel me? Cause it's, 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 it's a thing, you know? And like, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not a complaining person at all, you know, but to have someone else be like, oh, my neck is like, and I'm like, I know, right? Like, we're not supposed to say that, but it's, it is a lot after a while. Um, so it was like, it just felt really cool and, and wonderful to have such a full room of people and Lars with his blue and Sabine with her beautiful wigs and like, and the colors and it's like, it's so vibrant. Like every day we would get on set and everyone's so brilliant and smart and loving and kind. I think when you talk about assembled group, like Dave and John have just done a wonderful job of finding people and they were very specific about it. Like they would meet people or they would get folks that were recommended who were awesome, but maybe in the room, like energy wise, were just the attitude or whatever was just like not really there. And we are, again, as I said, well-oiled machine. It is go, go, go. We are hitting the ground running every single day. There's so much happening and we just don't have, there's just no room for anyone who's not going to be absolutely joyous about it. Like if you don't want to be here and you're just treating this as a job, then this isn't the job for you, you know? And that's across the board, like Ivana, Ray, Diana, who I was so excited to be able to work with again. I love her so much. And, you know, Bruce Lee was her godfather. So like the, like the conversations we could have about Shannon Lee and stuff, like it just, it felt so immersive. And like, we were with people every day who just felt so excited and honored and grateful to be there. And we were just smart and brilliant and super talented and looked like they had walked out of the animation. Like it was, I, I was blown away. I would have these like a gag moments watching them being like, okay, Hera, <laughs> you know, it just was so cool. And like to watch like how different it was for everyone these new characters that are created, you know, between, uh, you know, Balin and Shin and to see Sabine and like the differences in the training. Cause we all did our training, but it was different. Cause obviously she's got, you've got the sort of samurai style of the saber fighting, but then you've got the Western sort of fighting of like the Mandalorian and watching those like distinctions and like different traits and like details that would kind of come together and just how everyone just sort of really assumed their role and, and took it on and, and kind of brought, you know, brought life to all of this. I did want to ask a little bit about Ray Stevenson, um, who sadly passed away this year. Um, I'm, I'm curious if, if you had any fond memories of working with him or, or, or getting to know him on set that are particularly memorable for you. Um, yeah, I was mentioning before, it was one of the things I was talking about. I was like, can I say how heavy handed he was? Cause my God, he came in. I mean, he's a beast. He's so, I, it's hard to talk about him in the past sense, but uh, like he just was so, he's, he's magnificent, like just proper alpha male, huge, like stature, tall, big. I mean, but like the level of just, you talk about like a man who was sort of like that epitome of hyper masculine, you know, but not toxic. Like he just is really, his heart was just as big as he was. And I don't know. I just, I, it was one of those things that we constantly remarked about because Diana and Ivana and Ray are just some of the most delicious beings that you've ever communicated with and spent time with. And they're the baddies. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, why are we smiling and having such a good time? Like everyone's just so lovely and wonderful. And I'm just so grateful that we had Star Wars celebration together. I got to see him in the family. My, my mom got to spend some time with him. Um, and we all got to get to see him talk about his, this role. And he got to feel that from the fans 
that that literally that the energy that you know Lars has been doing the voice of Thrawn for a really long time, but he was very in the similar position as me as not being able to step forward or say anything that he was a part of the show, and being able to get that receiving like literally brought him to tears on stage. It brought all I mean it it moved all of us to be able to see that kind of reaction and the Star Wars family is really that very much a family and. I'm just grateful Ray gets to be a part of it in, in that this is, if this, if sadly, if this is the final role, then this is, it's, it's a magnificent one. He did a brilliant job. It was incredible to work with him every day. He was a delight, a joy, a beauty, a love. And I think people are going to be really, really excited about what he brought to this. Cause it, and, and I'm telling you, I literally was fighting for my life every single day. I was like, dude, <laughs> We're playing. This is play fighting. We're not supposed to really. I'm like, ah. so it definitely. I mean, it, it, it's titillating because we were really fighting. Like it was. I, I anyway. I was really fighting for my life because that man is huge. I love that. That's so funny. Um, and I know you've talked about you know uh, getting to meet and speak with um, Ashley Eckstein, who is obviously the yeah. originator of of this role. Tell me a little bit about what was sort of like the most valuable thing about about getting to speak with her. I mean, just the fact that just it felt like meeting a Disney princess in real life. Like I was like, I'm obsessed with her. She actually lives at Disney World. Like everything about like I love her universe and the clothing she makes. I think it's kind of remarkable that both Ahsoka's are have their fashion lines and are like so about it, about it. Like her energy and connection with the fans and just how genuine and loving and kind she is and how seriously she takes on the role and mantle of, of a character like this and who she represents into the world. And I love, like, I, I, I'm like, I defer to you. Like when she, she does all the posts for Tano Tuesday, I'll repost it. Like she, she goes to these beautiful sort of dissertations and like essays she'll write on the, on the bottom of her posts talking about everything about this character and what it means to her. And over these years and the anniversaries and like being able to go to cons with her. Now we found our own, like we were trying to figure out like what's going to be our photo and someone came in who was dressed as Ahsoka and was like, let's do the Spider-Man meme. And now that's kind of been our go-to thing is like three Ahsokas like, oh, 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 oh. Um, and she's just, she's just wonderful. Her husband's great. Like they're such an awesome team. And I just love everything that she does around mental health and awareness and just, she's just the real deal. And it feel, it does feel like as someone who loves Ahsoka, I feel like I'm meeting Ahsoka. Like I feel like I'm meeting Ahsoka. Um, and and I think it just to have her come to set and to be able to connect with her. And I just, it, it means the world. I think it's important. It's a continuation. I've kind of had that experience a little bit with like Josie and the Pussycats or Rent. And there is like an affinity. Like when you've played Mimi, if you love Josie and the Pussycats and you know the music, like we just connect on a different way, like immediately. Because if you've let that live in your body, the joy of that, like it's a special thing that not everyone allows themselves to. So it makes sense. Or her and like she came, literally came to set with these like sparkly cute shoes on and I was like we were filming in dirt and I was like Ashley I'm so sorry no one like told you and she was like no it's okay they said but I have several of these so it's fine and I was like oh she came in with like bleached white hair beautiful curls I was like I just couldn't stop hugging her I just I love oh, her. that makes me so happy and <laughs> yeah I mean I know this is a character you've taught I know you've kind of talked about this is a character you're in it for the long haul you you, you is you want to play this character for a long time is this something Thing where you guys are already starting to talk about, you know, like a potential season two. I mean, I'm seeding it out there because I think I'm a powerful manifester. So I'm trying to put that out there. But, you know, I just, I think that was a big thing of even accepting the role in Mandalorian 
it was definitely an understanding like, listen, if you absolutely hate this, if you decided and you hate it and you cannot do it anymore, it's understandable. You know, it's not a, not a lot of leads in any of these shows or films actually have to go through the same kind of process that I have to every single day with the contacts and the, like, it's, it's a lot to do every single day. And so they were like, we would absolutely understand if like you end up going, this is too much for six months or something, you know? But we're not there yet. You know, you're saying yes now, and it could be that. And so I knew even then that that was what I was potentially agreeing to. And I really meditated on that because it's like, it is a lot. And it's very, you know, challenging and not something I've ever done before. And I can't really relate to a lot of other people who've done because it's just not something that is as normal in the industry. So you know, I, I really, I grappled with that. And I just, I love this character so much in this world. Like it was not an, it was a very quick meditation, I can say, <laughs> but like, just to know, like, if this is what I'm doing for the next years of my life, like this is what it's going to require, you know, from me. Um, and I guess that means I'm going to have to be fit for the next years of my life. Cause this character is not lazy. Um, but I, I really, I, I've been excited. So whatever comes next, if more comes next, I'd be really excited and grateful. Cause I just, I feel like every time I get to step into her shoes, I learn more. I experience what I could never experience otherwise. And I get better. I keep, I feel like I keep getting better. It, it, it keeps landing in my body. And so I, I want to have, I'd love that opportunity to keep exploring. Absolutely. All right, great. Well, I think you answered all the specific questions that I had. Is there anything we didn't talk about or anything that's like particularly memorable for you or 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 just real top of mind for you as you think about this character in this show? I just want to give like, you know, a, a big shout out to all the fans. You know, we really put a lot of literal blood, sweat, and tears into this project. And, you know, I'm probably the most anxious that I've ever been in my entire career <laughs> over the reception of this, which I felt at different stages when Mando and Boba Fett came out, but it's really different thing to come onto a character that it's, I felt that maybe a little bit in Rent, maybe a little bit even with Sin City, but when, when you're playing a character that has been so special for so many fans for so many years in such a particular way, it's, it's definitely intense kind of approaching it with a new kind of, perspective. And so I just, I'm as a fan, I feel really grateful that Dave's so happy because that's the first person that I wanted to please. Um, but I really, really hope that, that the fans love it because, you know, that means we a get to do more, but B it, you know, it means that we've honored the legacy of this character and this journey. And I know that's what we intended to do. So I'm, I'm really, I'm looking forward to watching it for the first time alongside everybody else, because they will not give it to me early. I'm sure. But um, I'm going to be watching those fan reactions because that was amazing to watch on Mando. And, and I, I really am hoping that, um, that that is the same experience people have watching this. Thanks to Rosario Dawson for being our guest again this week. And thank you for being our guest as well. If you want to do us a super solid, you can subscribe to the podcast and please rate us and write us a sparkling review. Not unlike Han Solo to Jabba the Hutt, we will be forever in your debt, at least until the Sarlacc pit. You can connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross and at Devin Kogan. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch Podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. 
Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Executive produced by Chanel Johnson. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.